Well, good morning. We are actually, I, I, I this morning, uh, obviously, I'm not in Malvern. I am this, I am right now in this very moment, I'm in Stuttgart. And so uh, we do not want you to miss part three of this series, which we're in this week. And so we are teaching it from right here today to you. And I am so glad that you are here with us today. Cole and I have been loving this series. It has been personally meaningful to both of us, and we know that this content is going to be meaningful to you as well. So welcome to the church in Malvern from Stuttgart Harvest Church. We are so glad that you're here. So this week we are continuing this series about shame, talking about what it is, what it does, uh, and most importantly, what we can do about it. And this is tough to understand, this concept of shame. Uh, with this series, we introduced this idea, a helpful way for us to think about shame, and that is we said that every single one of us, every single one of you, and Cole and myself both, we all have this thing called a personal shame attendant. And it's this attendant that goes with us everywhere that we go. It's in tune with every thought that we have, every desire that we have. And this attendant is very much helping us to write our personal stories. And sadly, though, somehow the theme of these stories that we write say this, I'm not enough. I don't measure up and I never will measure up. And so my shame attendant is working really hard to make sure that I keep writing that version of a life story for myself every single day. That shame attendant is helping us all write our life story. And it leads us to some very disintegrated thinking, which is actually opposite of the way God intended for his creation to think and to live. Now, our shame attendant does not what what God desires. God desires for us to have integrated thinking, integrated relationships for us. He desires us to be integrated with him, with God. And he desires us to be integrated with other people as well. And just as we saw last week, evil does not want those kind of relationships for us. In fact, Shame, which leads us to this disintegrated thinking, shame is evil's most used weapon against us, against every one of us. It is the weapon that drives us away from God, and it's a weapon that drives us away from other people. And at the core, our shame attendant is making sure we get this message. It says this, if they really know me, Harley. My shame attendant says, Harley, if they really, really, really knew you, they would abandon you. And if they do get to know you, they are going to abandon you and they are going to leave you, Harley. You will be alone. My shame attendant makes sure that I know and that I believe if you really know me, the real me, the real Harley, that you'll leave me and you'll abandon me. So that makes me afraid, naturally. Very much afraid. It makes me afraid that you're going to abandon me. And so I respond to that fear in some very specific ways. So the first thing I might do is I might fight. I might fight you. I might fight you out of fear. Or I might fight something else or someone else kind of as a 
diversion or distraction. I might fight you, and I, I, then I might flight. I might take flight. I might just run away, just try to get away. I could become so overwhelmed emotionally that I might just freeze. That's another option. I could just simply freeze and just unable to make any progress, not able to make a decision and move forward. But here's one that I often do. I might just camouflage. I might just camo, put on the camo and try to hide, disguise all those flaws, disguise all those things I don't want you to know about me and just kind of cover up the real me and hide. Our shame attendant says, you know what, Harley, since God already knows you, then he is certainly going to abandon you. There is no way that God will stick around for you, Harley. And in those moments when I think those thoughts, man, I feel, I feel disgusting. I feel dirty. I feel muddy. I feel horrific and unlovable. That's the way I feel. And when I feel those ways, you know what? The evil one can say, mission accomplished. I've got Harley feeling exactly the way I want him to feel. Shame is so, so powerful. I, I can remember a time. Pardon me. I can remember a time. This happened 24 years ago. It was an interaction I had with one of my children. And I got angry. I got so mad. And in that anger, I was super harsh. Mm. My child was just a preschooler. And as soon as I exploded, as soon as I said those words, and as soon as I behaved that way, shame pounced on me. And do you know what? The power of shame... Listen, it was not even their fault. My child's fault wasn't their fault. But do you know the message they got from their shame attendant? Their shame attendant told them, you know what? You're bad. You're just a bad kid. You're bad or that wouldn't have happened to you. And even today, the thought of that, it just piles on more shame upon me after all those years. And here's the power of shame. The very things that I felt emotionally when that happened, 24 years ago, the very things I felt physically with all that shame 24 years ago, as I think about that moment, ah, I can feel those things all over again right now exactly the same way, with the same intensity, the same horrible pain as if that event just now happened. That is powerful, and that's the power of shame. And that's why, just perhaps, that it is the evil one's number one tool to destroy me and to destroy you. We all have this. We all have some form of uh, a personal secret shame. We all do. It, it doesn't even have to be something that we did. Sometimes it is something we did, and we have shame over that. But sometimes it's shame because of something someone else did to us. And we were innocent, and yet 
we're still tainted by them. We might feel ruined by them. That's shame too. We also have another form of shame. There's this family secret shame. You know, it's those things that we grew up with and we were told, well, we just don't talk about that. We knew they were there, but we just didn't talk about those things. Those were our little family secrets, that family secret shame. And then we also have shame on a much bigger level. We have this thing called community shame. And sadly, part of our community shame um, can reach down into the very place that God designed to be part of the healing process, the church community. And there in the church community, when that community is distorted and when that community is not functioning correctly, shame can also be heaped upon us in that community. And that's not what Jesus planned for us. And that's not what Jesus planned for this new thing, this new community he called the church. And he commissioned them to actually be a part of, of calling out shame and part of the process of stopping shame in its tracks. And listen, Cole and I are not oblivious though. We, we understand that you may have been in a church, some kind of church community in your past, but perhaps not a healthy one, not a healthy community. So you may have even more damaging shame that you're dealing with because of that unhealthy church community. But listen, this is one of the reasons that we're teaching this series. Stuttgart Harvest Church and you in the church in Malvern, we want to be among the healthy church communities that God actually uses to bring healing to shame. Because when we get involved in a healthy community, when we finally lower our shields and take down our defenses in a healthy community and we give it a chance... We come into this community, and appropriately so, we start with something like this. You know what? You, this church community, you're here to help me. You're here to make me better, to help me um, get past this shame that I'm feeling. And that's wonderful. That is a wonderful place. And that is right, and that is appropriate. But that's not the way it stays. Because we must eventually get to that next phase, and the next phase, oh, it is so, so, so important, that next phase, that's when we begin to say this, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm here to love you. I'm, I'm here to be known by you and, and to know you. I'm here to serve you. And listen, we want to be a part of that community. We want to be a place where we don't let shame hide out, where we can shine the light of love into the shadows, and we can call shame out for what it is, an abuser and a liar, and we can help people move into that place of healing from their shame, that place where they can become a part then of the healing of other people as well. And when God's light shines into the shadow and it shines upon that shame, something happens next.
That's the question. What? What happens next when God's light shines upon that shame? That's a huge question. And we're going to attempt to answer that today. What happens when God's light shines into the shadows and calls shame out? You know, next month in April, we're going to celebrate Easter. That's actually the day that the Church of Malvern started and launched officially. Right before Easter is this thing called Good Friday. It is super special. It is the day that we set aside to remember that sacrificial death of Jesus. This is so cool. Because Good Friday totally caught evil off guard. Evil never saw Good Friday coming. Never could have anticipated they never could have. Evil did not know what was going to happen on Good Friday. They never predicted that the death of Jesus was actually God's plan for creation to have a way back to connect with the Father. Evil could not comprehend how that moment of the greatest pain and shame that was heaped upon Jesus, what appeared to be a horrific, horrible failure for Jesus would actually be the greatest triumph of God. You see, in week number one, we saw how shame became this first tool and this great tool that the evil one would go on and continue to use to destroy us. And then shame scared us. Because shame was lying to us. And shame was making us think that God would now abandon us because we were irreparably ruined. But God did not abandon Adam and Eve. God actually came walking into the garden and lovingly began helping them with their shame. And from that day, through the rise of this nation called Israel, God actually planted himself with his creation through the nation of Israel. But that wasn't the whole plan. That was just the beginning of the plan. That happened, God with Israel, so that God could come walking toward us again. This time, God didn't just reside near us. This time, at just the right time selected by God, he put on the flesh and the blood and the bone and the muscle of his own creation. God came walking into our lives, one of us as Jesus. God came living among us as a man. And he did it for this reason. In order to fix our shame. God had to place himself in a position where God could wear our shame like we wear our shame. But with a huge difference, Jesus was innocent and yet he wore our shame. Jesus didn't just come toward our shame. He put it on. And God's thinking was revealed when God said that Jesus came not to be served, 
but Jesus came to chapter. Listen how this is worded in the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, it says this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, Jesus was God, he did not think of equality of God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took on the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Paul is saying that Jesus became the ultimate servant. It's as if Jesus was saying, listen guys, I'm God. Shame-filled serving my hurting and and broken and my shame-filled creation by laying my life down for the very creation that I love. Now to do that, this perfect, innocent Jesus had to actually wear our shame. Paul says this, He says, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made, God made the one, that's Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I love this. That's as if Jesus is saying this. Hey guys, listen, here, here. Let's make an exchange You take all of my righteousness, and and here's the exchange, and I will in turn take all of your shame. God, in humility, serving by stepping to this earth as a servant, and God submitting to a humiliating death. And at just the right time, God came walking into the garden for Adam and Eve. He wanted to reconnect. And at just the right time, Jesus came walking into our lives, connecting with us again. And that, that is Good Friday. Good Friday is a good God coming to find us. Now think with me. Think with me what God actually put himself through. Think about that shame that he willingly accepted. The night that Jesus allowed himself to be arrested at this illegal trial that followed and uh, all these religious people um, that put him on trial, they were so pious and, and they had their noses, their spiritual noses in the air. They were this snooty religious community and they did nothing but heap shame upon Jesus. And in parts of that trial, they would spit on him, that spitting on God himself. They beat the face of God with their fist, not metaphorically, literally. They were pounding An innocent Jesus with shame. Following that, the Romans, they took Jesus and they stripped him naked to add to the shame. They then beat Jesus to an unrecognizable bloody pulp of shame. 
They were pretty certain that Jesus was powerless to stop what they were doing. They were the powerful Romans, but they didn't know that this was actually part of God's plan. Jesus, God, was submitting to this. He was allowing it to happen. And after beating him, they made fun of him. They pretended to worship him and mocked him, heaping more shame upon Jesus. They beat him in the face more, and they ripped the beard out of his skin, right off of his face. They, it was just all filled with shame. They didn't stop beating Jesus until they got bored with it, bored of mocking him. And then they stopped. They put his clothes back on, his almost unrecognizable body, and they sent him off staggering in shame, carrying his beam, his cross beam to his death. And then there on that mountain, during that humiliating death event, Jesus was once again stripped naked. You know, it's not like our our beautiful paintings that we see today where we have a, a shirtless Jesus wearing a modest loincloth. That's, that's not how the Romans crucified people. That's just how we can tolerate the image. That's not how they did it. The Romans crucified people by stripping them naked, nude. It was intended to be humiliating. And they heaped shame upon them by doing that. They took Jesus right back to that naked, shameful state that Adam and Eve was in, in the garden. Wow. Jesus entered that shame. Jesus knew exactly what shame was, and Jesus knew from his experience exactly what shame could do, because that was his plan, to willingly put that shame on. And so as the Roman crucifixion custom tells us, Jesus hung there naked. And the people watching, walking by, the people there were mocking him. They were mocking Jesus. They were making fun of God. They were yelling at him. They were spitting on him, mocking him, abusing him, all the way to the point where he died. Jesus, my friends, Jesus knew shame. And through all of that, don't miss this, through all of that, God is saying, Harley, he says to you too, God is saying, look, there is absolutely no place in your shame that I am not already there where I am waiting for you and I'm going to wait for you and I'm going to open, uh, I'm going to wait till you can open your eyes and realize that I am in that shame right in the middle of that shame filled space with you, waiting on you. And it's as if Jesus is saying, and now with my death, let my resurrection take us both home, not to shame, no, 
Let my resurrection take us both home to the glory of our loving Father. Jesus knows shame. The writer of Hebrews reminds us. Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and that cloud, uh, some of it is the great men and women of faith who have gone before us. Some of that cloud are, are the people who are around us right now. Some of that cloud is Jesus himself who is looking on us right now. And because of that cloud of witnesses surrounding us, the writer goes on and says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. And you might ask, well, it sounds good, but, but how? Harley, how? How do we do that? How do we know that the, the story that I have been believing, that my shame attendant has helped me write, the story that says that if anyone ever really knows me, the real me, that they will abandon me, and so will God. How do we do that when that's the story that we've been believing? And he gives us the answer in verse 2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, who is God who is the light of the world, who has come to find us. It's Jesus, and he goes on, the source and perfecter of our faith. Now look what Jesus did. This is where we are today. This is what I love. For the joy that lay before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Listen to the other words used in English to describe that Hebrew word despised the shame, disregarded, that word is used, disregarded the shame. Also used as scorned the shame. And then he says, and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. This is huge. Jesus scorned the shame that was heaped upon him. Jesus despised the shame that was heaped upon him. Don't miss this. Jesus disregarded the shame. Jesus looked at that shame from the cross and he called it out. Shame! Is that all you've got? Is that all you have? Bring it to me. Bring it to me, shame. Put it on me. Put it all on me. Everything you have in this entire world, put it on me. Give me that shame. And Jesus looked at it. The shame and then everything that it had to bring. And Jesus disregarded the shame. And he said, shame, you are nothing. He scorned it. Shame, you are a liar. Jesus took his light and he pointed it into the darkness where shame hides and he called it out and he pointed it out and he said this to shame. Shame, you're just a liar. And don't miss this. What did Jesus do with the shame? He called it out. He looked at it and called it out, and he disregarded it. Why? 
the writer told us, for the joy set before him. What is that joy exactly that was before Jesus? The joy is Jesus in connection with God the Father. That's the joy. The joy is Jesus in connection with God the Spirit. That's the joy. And guess what? Guess what? That's not the only joy. The joy is also because he, Jesus, is getting ready to be back in connection with you and with me after this great task is completed and finished. When he finishes serving by dying for us, we have the opportunity to be connected with him again. Because of Good Friday, Jesus says, I'm going to crawl into that shame pit with you. Jesus says, none of this shame scares me. None of this, what you have heaped upon your life, none of this embarrasses me. I'm coming for you, and I'm going to keep coming for you. Hide if you want. Run from me if you want, but I want you to know I'm coming for you and I'm going to not stop. And this is the Jesus that we worship. This is the Jesus who asked us as a church to be his hands and his feet in this new community that he started and formed called the church. And that is Jesus. That is God who humiliated himself to serve us by rescuing us. And all of that, every bit of it, brings him and him alone glory. Jesus came here to lay his life down, to serve my friends, the church in Malvern, we are never more like Jesus than when we are serving. You see, we start with, we come into this church in the beginning with you, the church, you're here to help me. You're here, here to, to, to make me better, to help me get past my shame. And that is wonderful, and that is right, and that is appropriate. But we don't stay there, and we don't stay that way. Because we must eventually get to the next phase. And it is so, so, so important, the next phase, where we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I'm here. I'm here to love you. And I'm here to be known by you. And I'm here to know you. I'm here to serve you. And so we are asking you this week. We desire, no matter if this is even your first time, I'm going to say it. We desire you to serve with us. Because that is who we are. Ultimately, we are not a body of Sitters and takers. Now we're a body of servers. And so we invite you. 
come join us. Let us get into the life of those people, everyone that's around us, and let's serve those people. Let's serve them out of their shame and toward Jesus. Will you sign up today, right now, on your connection card to serve with us? Let's pray. Jesus, you told us that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. Oh, we're so thankful. For the joy, you took on that shame and you took it away so that we could reconnect with you. And Jesus, when you died on the cross, you didn't just take our shame away. You took our sin away because we could not do it. You did it so that we could have a chance to connect our lives with yours eternally. Connected to you, liar. When we are connected to you through your death and resurrection, Jesus, you will never abandon we will never be out of your presence. We will never be out of your care if we will simply answer your call to follow you, Jesus. And I pray in the name of Jesus, there are people right now who are saying, yes, Jesus, I choose you. I follow you. My life was mine. I owned it. I did what I wanted. But Jesus, right now I recognize because you died on the cross for me that you are my boss and I submit my life to you and I will follow you Jesus and it is in the name of Jesus our Messiah our Savior the sacrifice for the sins of the world the one who walked out of the tomb alive that Jesus you it is in your name we pray amen